When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. We're broadcasting live from downtown Santa Monica in the heart of Silicon Beach. Please be seated. We've got a great show for you today. This is the debut of our eighth season. And for those of you who have been listening all along, thank you for your support. And for those of you who are joining us for the first time, welcome, and I hope you'll enjoy it. We um, have show, our show notes, as usual, are available at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Radio. So today, we have a very topical issue. Um, We are dealing with Bitcoin and blockchain technology. And with us is Angela Walsh. She is an associate professor at St. Mary's University School of Law in sunny San Antonio. And um, she focuses on money and law, blockchain technologies, governance of emerging technologies and financial stability. She's also a research fellow at the Center for Blockchain Technologies of University College London. Um, She was nominated for Blockchain Person of the Year for 2016 by CryptoCoins News for her work on the governance of blockchain technologies and her influential article in American Banker arguing that coders and miners a public blockchain should be treated as fiduciaries. Angela, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So um, you were nominated for Blockchain Person of the Year. Who won? <laughs> Vitalik Buterin, the oh. Ethereum creator. Okay. And, it, uh, you know, I can't really be sad about losing to him. That's that's a good job. But we're really thrilled to have you. Thank fair you for enough. joining it's us. Fair enough. <laughs> thank you. So, um, this is last year was 2017 was, was a record year for um, Bitcoin and 2018 is also looking like a record year for Bitcoin but in the opposite way we, we've seen a huge drop um, in values in bitcoins and so a lot of people are um, wondering what is Bitcoin and what is what is real what is hype so why don't we just jump in and explain you know for people who aren't familiar, what exactly is Bitcoin? Okay, so big question, but Bitcoin is a, well, it's a software um, and it's a network. And uh, the two work together, um, computers work together running the software to essentially create a list. And on that list, are units, made up units called bitcoins and all the computers that are part of this network work together to essentially show um, when one bitcoin was transferred to another bitcoin. So the list reflects all movements of every bitcoin and it also shows the creation of new bitcoins. So it's essentially um, a value tracking system and the bitcoin on there is the unit of value. And, and it was go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. Okay, so um, it was created kind of in the aftermath of the financial crisis. Um, a different 
uh, several different technologies that already existed uh, were combined in a new way. And this anonymous creator or group of creators who's known as Satoshi Nakamoto um, came, up with, came up with this system. And the goal of the system was stated to be to create um, an electronic cash system that was kind of outside the realm of governments. So Bitcoin is intended to be, at least originally intended to be, that electronic cash system, peer-to-peer -peer cash, um, where there's no central party to trust, to trust like a fallible government or central bank. Um, all you have to trust is the software code and that the network of computers um, operating it is, you know, is functioning. Now, Bitcoin became somewhat notorious in a way because it had been used in a number of, uh, I guess, questionable transactions, particularly with respect to the it had played a big role in the emergence of Silk Road, you know, the uh, online kind of forum for people to purchase drugs and other things. Yes, it, it does have an illicit history, I would say. Um, it was part of Silk Road, which was, um, you know, taken down by the FBI, I think back in 2013, um, but quickly replaced by other um, marketplaces of a similar nature. And the reason that Bitcoin has been used in, in those ways is because it's more anonymous than other ways of paying for things online. It's, it's incorrect to say that it's actually anonymous. It's more, suit, they call it, um, you know, pseudonymous, pseudonymous. Um, and that means that, you know, your name doesn't have to be attached to it, but there's always going to be an IP address attached to whatever transaction. And the whole point of this list that I was describing earlier, this record, is that it's there forever. Okay, and that everything on it is is publicly accessible. So it's not because it's not truly anonymous. Um, governments, you know, um, have been able to kind of break through that anonymity, and they found the guy who was behind Silk Road. And I think most uh, most experts in the area would agree that you are taking a significant risk if you're doing all of your criminal activity through Bitcoin because if the government wants to find you uh, through various tracing um, efforts, they probably will be able to. But at, they have to make the effort. They have the to make the time, effort, though. But at the same time, banking, you know, banking, which is a very highly regulated industry, does not like, mm -hmm. with what maybe not anonymity, but it doesn't isn't that fond of pseudonymity either? Okay, uh, so where where are you going? So yeah, the banking industry, you know, their job is essentially to know where money is coming from, to know who they're dealing with, right? All the know your customer anti money laundering rules are about that, right? Trying to understand where money is coming from and who has it, and um, so. For that reason, um, Bitcoin doesn't naturally square with that. Um, so uh, there's been a lot of concern by regulators who deal with, you know, trying to stop terrorist financing and, um, you know, criminal criminal activities uh, that to try and, and figure out, you know, how does Bitcoin interact with our existing regulatory structure in, in that way and. So far, um, it's, it's, there's been a focus on the intermediaries in the Bitcoin system. So there are exchanges in the Bitcoin world where people access Bitcoin by exchanging their, um, you know, their normal sovereign currencies like dollars or euros or pounds right. or whatever for, for the cryptocurrency. Okay? And while those exchanges started out very Wild West, very... Um, kind of unregulated, uh, the more legitimate exchanges do have know your customer uh, and anti-money laundering type um, policies and practices that they that they require their customers. 
So to participate in the real world with Bitcoin, you're still going to have to identify yourself. Um, if you want to just buy it um, from another person without going through an exchange, then you know you can still remain anonymous. Now, the the banking industry obviously has a little bit of uneasiness with Bitcoin because of some of its illicit past, but they like the technology of being able to track and um, where things are coming from. And, and so uh, I believe mm -hmm. you said that because of that, rather than refer to it as Bitcoin technology, they've created this new term called blockchain technology. Can you explain that? Sure. So it's said that blockchain technology is said by many people that blockchain technology is the big innovation here and that Bitcoin is simply one of the applications of blockchain technology. That currency itself or money is an application of blockchain technology. And the blockchain technology idea is, it goes by a number of different names, um, but essentially uh, the blockchain refers to this big list that is being kept by this network of computers. And I, 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 the simplest way for me to think about blockchain technology is that it's kind of um, group record keeping. Instead of having one party do the record keeping on behalf of a group, you all do it together. And it's said that it's this doing it together and uh, mixing cryptography with it um, creates a record that is immutable, permanent, um, that it's trust, a trustworthy record. And that is said to be a very powerful, a powerful thing that is a, a significant change in what uh, we have previously done with record keeping as, as humans. It, it's, it's supposed to take some of the fallibility out of it to make it more reliable. And if record keeping can be reliable, then uh, you can do many, many great things because once you stop to think about it, you realize that record keeping underlies pretty much every social practice that we have. Right? It's all about keeping track of, you know, what did you say? How did you vote? Where did you go to school? How much right. money do you have? How much money did you spend? So if it's a record keeping revolution, then it's actually um, a revolution in technology across all fields. So they're calling it kind of like a new platform technology. And you use words like immutable, that this is there's kind of this trust that you know technolo technology knows better than we do. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's very that that is a strong, strong idea running through this whole uh, this whole area, the blockchain space, the Bitcoin space, is that we can fix our human fallibilities, our human problems through technology. And um, there, you still see quotes. You certainly saw them, quotes like this, more during, I don't know, the first few years of Bitcoin. But that we are choosing um, to, people say they're choosing to use this because you're just trusting math. You're not having to trust humans. I think right. uh, one of the Winklevoss twins said that early on. Right? We're putting our faith in, in math and algorithms. That uh, is free of politics be, and you know, human error. Uncorruptible. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes. I love that <laughs> because it's so not true. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, yeah, that's that's I wanted to get, get at. And, and so it, there's this huge push yeah, it is quite the buzz now, and and the words you talk about, um, immutability, um, you know, free of political and human error. That somehow, um, and it, the and the technology gods have divined something and given to us at mankind that we can use and should just accept without question. Yes, 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 absolutely, and. And the kind of origin story of Bitcoin very much plays into this, right? It's, it's an anonymous uh, gift to humanity, right? That we don't know who Satoshi Nakamoto was, but boy, he gave us the perfect gift that would solve so many of our human problems. And you actually see that kind of manifested as well in, um, in the way that many hardcore Bitcoin proponents 
refer to, well, what would Satoshi want? You know, how would Satoshi want us to handle this issue? Um, which direction would he want to take the currency? So there, there very much is this kind of otherworldly element to it, right? Humans are dumb and corrupt and stuff, but someone gave us this, and we just need to make use of it now. Right, and, and there's um, actually a precedent for it. And if you go back a, a decade, a little, a little over a decade, you had that in 2000, 2001 with the Internet. You know, the Internet was yeah. this utopian place. Why are we polluting it with commerce? You know, somehow that the Internet yeah. was somehow its own ecosphere and that you know, man shouldn't corrupt it when it really all it was was just another chain of distribution. Well, yes, it is. It's fascinating to me that um, we we really are. I think we're really always just looking for ways to have more certainty and ways to get to escape really our human our human flaws. And technology is, you know, it's a very it's very attractive to believe that that can be the case. And I think it's really interesting that this whole blockchain fascination is actually happening at the same time that we're there's starting to be more doubt, um, more widespread doubt about, wow, how helpful were these things like social media and many of the, you know, the right. the early internet companies, right, the Googles, the Amazons, the right. Facebooks and stuff, wow, are we comfortable with where they've taken us? But yet yeah. we're still very much... Um, vulnerable to this mythology that technology can save us. Yeah, we've we've discovered that our, our internet darlings, darlings have fangs. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It wasn't that what we thought was free, all this stuff we were getting for free from these companies and this free flow of information and um, all of that. Well, we were giving something up in exchange for that even though we weren't necessarily aware of it. And so we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about what are the consequences of these assumptions and more about blockchain technology and Bitcoin after these messages. You're listening to Cyberlon Business Report only on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. All of your favorite webmasterradio.fm programs on air and on demand 24-7. Find our shows on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, and anywhere you download your podcasts. Add some podcasts to your playlist as part of a better profit margin. More refreshing talk radio on air and on demand 24-7. Only on webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. Not on my watch, our military service members say, as they volunteer to serve, as they move out, stand firm, and take fire. So not on our watch, we say, to the severely ill or injured veterans who can't get the care they deserve to live full and independent lives, even when there's no government funding or a nursing home seems like the only option. We won't leave one warrior behind. Not on our watch. Join us at findwwp.org. Jamming and spamming, cashing in the clicks. SEO is always in session. Only on webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel -gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back and we're talking with Professor Angela Walsh from the St. Mary University School of Law in San Antonio. And uh, we've been talking about some of the assumptions that uh, are the foundation of some of the hype behind Bitcoin. And, you know, Angela, you were 
this is why I guess where you tell us that Hans Gruber is not a nice guy. <laughs> that who is not a nice guy? Hans Gruber, the the bad guy in Die Hard. Oh, so see, yeah, I'm I'm not a Die Hard fan, but um, <laughs> sorry about that. It's okay. <laughs> My husband's always always shocked by the movies that I haven't seen. I've seen plenty of musicals, but not all the you know Indiana Jones and Die Hard. So it's yeah. Just so you know, it is a Christmas movie. Just say, so but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I, I've seen that debate. I've seen that debate out there. Yeah, um, right. No. Um, so I, I, my role, uh, one of my roles in this space has been to kind of um, try to ask questions that I don't necessarily see a lot of other people asking, and it makes me nervous when I see something described as, you know, the solution to every problem, every human problem. Thank goodness we have a new technology that can, can solve all, all of these problems. So I've been asking questions about the fundamental characteristics of the technology. And this has been, I don't know, kind of difficult because I'm a law professor and I'm not a, you know, I'm not a software engineer. I'm not a, um, a, a programmer, so I have had to try to, you know, observe what people are saying and observe what I see going on in the space, events that are happening, and in many cases, the events that are happening do not match um, the words that people are using to describe the technology's characteristics. So I have been continuing to ask questions, and um, it turns out when you press on a lot of the words that are used to, to describe why the technology is so transformative, um, they're not actually, it's not actually accurate to use those words. So um, rather than being kind of abstract here, the, some of the words uh, that are problematic here are words like immutable, trustless, secure, that the block, a blockchain record reflects truth. Um, and if you have been learning about blockchain technology, you might recognize these um, adjectives as the ones that people use to sell the technology the most. And really all of them, I would say, are overstatements about its capabilities. And so one of them, just to clarify for listeners, trustless. When I first heard that, I thought, why is trustless an a something that's good? But then I understood that <laughs> the banking system relies on intermediaries who are trusted. Yes. Yes, that's exactly it. Trustless is a very odd word. I, I don't remember hearing it outside the blockchain technology or, or Bitcoin world, but it's it's a word that's very much associated with 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 that place. Um, so, yeah, so it's exactly what you said. People use the word trustless to mean that you don't have to rely on a central party, an intermediary, to take whatever action that you're wanting to. Um, in many of our record-keeping systems, right, there is a, a, a third party that we entrust our records to. And then we believe them when they... Um, when we believe our bank, for instance, when they tell us how much money we have in our account, generally, um, we believe we believe the government um, when it tells us that somebody else was born on such and such date according to their records, or you know, we we have these trusted parties in our society. So the trustless word is is saying essentially that you don't have to trust those third parties anymore. You just trust the record that is generated by a system of computers and um, because of the way the, the voting for what goes, you know, the verification process works, because, because we've come up with a way to do that properly, um, you, can, you can assume that it's all right. You don't, have to, um, you don't have to trust that central party, so trustless. So when I hear that, um, Really, is is can that can that be true? Um, and for me, it's a misnomer because it suggests that you really are just relying on math here and you know infallible software. And it's when when 
when we're running software, you have to remember that there are always humans who are creating that software, who are making decisions about the policies that the software will implement. So I see you know, the people making these decisions, and there are people making these decisions, the core developers, even these public blockchain systems, um, make decisions about you know, what to do about bugs in the code, how to improve it over time. And um, people who, who um, counter arguments to this are that um, software code in these public blockchain systems um, can't be forced on anyone that software changes are only implemented when you know, a majority of the computers in the network choose to adopt the new version of software. And that's true. However, uh, the, the core developers of these systems, which are in many of them you know, four or five people who actually have, the, um, who have commit access, meaning they're the ones who can actually make changes to the code, they are seen as extremely influential people. Um, what, what they say, they're viewed you know, as like what they say is, is golden. Okay? Right. So they go to a lot of conferences. They are heavily followed on social media. Um, and they're influential um, in, <clears throat> in, in the decisions uh, that they recommend. Other people in the system um, that you have to trust are these mining networks. Okay, so they're called mining networks. Um, the, the computers within within these systems that work to validate the transactions. And though I think mining, calling them miners, actually um, confuses things a bit. Another kind of nomenclature problem. But what they really are, they're just transaction validators. They're just running the software to to maintain this list and they're trying to maintain it in an up-to-date and uh, up-to-date form and in a way that ensures that the rules set up by the software are followed. Well, uh, <clears throat> it's said that you know you don't have to trust centralized parties because anyone can join this transaction validation yeah. and it's spread out all around the world so no one has any more power. But there's been many studies um, about um, the validation networks, and it turns out they're all actually highly centralized and highly um, the, the power is consolidated into large mining pools. So um, there was a study that just came out yesterday, and I don't have the numbers at my fingertip, but I want to say it's like four mining pools in Bitcoin control like 50% of the computing power. Wow. So you're still trusting people, you're, and people are still exercising power, it's just that the messaging is that you're not, and that is worrisome to me because power that is not acknowledged, not seen, is power that is not necessarily constrained or accountable. Precisely. So that's, that's a worry that I have about these systems. And people who are pushing this technology as you know, almost I'm reminded of, you know, late night TV you know, infomercials for Miracle Product X. And, you know, it can mm -hmm. do all these things. But, and, and wait, there's more. And they're yeah. not acknowledging this part. I take it. Yeah, I'm 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 really I am worried about that. Uh, and it, it may be the case uh, that you know, this is just part of the normal hype cycle of a new technology that everyone gets really excited, really, really excited, and then uh, you you realize that it's not as powerful as you think, or it's not going to be as transformative as you think, and maybe we're just, you know, working our way through that hype cycle. But I feel like it's more consequential here, potentially because people are talking about, they're saying, wow, these characteristics of this technology are so amazing that we should use it for very, very important human systems, like our voting systems, like our identity systems, like our property titling systems. Right. And I, that's what makes me concerned. I don't have concerns about, you know, if people want to use blockchain technology uh, for systems like keeping track of, you know, how many hits 
their uh, cat video on YouTube got or whatever. I really, I, I don't care. Music sharing systems, I, uh, no offense to music fans, but <laughs> I'm concerned about the ones that are like the critical social systems, right? Like that, that governments would use. Um, that, Trademarks, um, for example. That are, yeah. Well, well, that's a good point. <laughs> um, so I, I've been focused more on ones that could call that I feel like if they break down, um, there could be like social unrest or um, a financial crisis type things. So banking systems where we keep we're keeping track of of money and stocks and things like that. Uh, voting systems where legitimacy of election of an election is mm-hmm. uh, is on the line. Uh, those those kinds of things. Um, are, are ones that blockchain technology is being talked about for, and that's great. And it may well be an improvement on our existing systems in some cases. However, we can't know that unless we're actually honest about the technology's limitations and characteristics, and and, people... and where the and and uh, and an awareness of where the power is. That oh well, we've gotten rid of the whole power problem, and we have a permanent record. Awesome, let's go. That's not helpful. Right. And it's it's interesting in that if you look back to the early days of the internet, they kept referring to email as the killer app, and and then you said there's this evolution cycle. Yeah, and they discovered a problem with the killer app, and it was called spam, and people got all exercised about it. But eventually, you know, regulation came in, and some solutions were found, and technological solutions were found, and we moved on. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. But then we realized actually that the spam was the least of the problems. I mean, there's a lot of privacy and other issues yeah. that are, are far greater that no one fully understood in 2001 or 2002, or maybe some did, but the rest of the people weren't hearing it. And are we doing yeah. that now? Well, I think so. I think that there's so little nuance in most of the discussions that you see about the technology. Um, and I think that there is a, a there's a, uh, there's a push forward with the technology that I see kind of being not, not as thoughtful as it should be. Um, I think people want to make money. There are, we've, there's, there's a lot of different factors kind of uh, coming together here, right? So you've got a new technology and people see an opportunity to make money with it because if they can uh, sell this technology to um, to other people, then they can replace existing systems, get them to adopt your new technology. Wow, that's you know you're going to make money of that. So there's a jobs component. Um, governments uh, definitely um, want to don't want to be seen to be turning away. Right jobs, right, and a new technology. They want to be seen as supporting innovation. Um, and the people who are explaining it to governments, in many cases, are doing it in a way that is not necessarily nuanced or um, clear about the limitations or characteristics of the technology. And I say that because um, these words like immutable, um, secure, those are overstatements of the technology's capabilities. However, they appear in countless academic works, in um, many, many research reports by um, you know, well-regarded institutions, consulting firms, and um, just think tanks and those, type, those types of organizations. And it's, it, that's worrying because it, to me that says that um, we're taking the technology's characteristics as established and then making decisions about how it can be used, assuming that the technology that we're building on foundations that are known and understood. When, from my view of the system, we're nowhere near that yet with the technology. People are doing tons of experiments. There's tons of debate about in that with the serious technologists about what the capabilities are, right? And problem is is that the implementation part and uh, like that people are talking about let's use it here and here and here they're ahead of the they're running forward but the technology can't support that running forward yet 
So, so that's, I'm, I'm concerned about that. It seems to me we have a phenomenon, it's, it's a gold rush phenomenon. And people want to mm-hmm. be, in, in the gold rush, you want to be ahead of the pack, not behind it. And, and so right. as part of that, you want to lead the pack and tell them, hey, mm-hmm. I, I got this great opportunity to come run with me. Um, yes. But of right. course... It, there's no prize for second place there. Exactly. And um, so if you're talking to a legislator in Arizona or Florida, for example, where some of these issues are starting to come up, what's the first thing you tell them? What's the first thing I tell them? Be very skeptical. Be extremely skeptical and think about what the interests are of the person who is selling you on the the benefits of the technology. Push, look for dissenting viewpoints, and I may not be right about everything. I'm sure that I'm not, but you need to get a diversity of viewpoints in there to where you can make the best decisions. And this isn't, I'm not talking about, you know, necessarily like they're going to be regulating the technology immediately, but they need to understand what the technology's capabilities are, that there are multiple variations of the technology, that it's very immature, um, lots of perspectives on it, and they need to have all of those perspectives in mind before they make any decisions about what the risks of the technology are. You know, should we regulate it? Should we regulate things related, activities related to it, not the technology itself necessarily? But you can't do any of that unless you are getting a more complete, um, nuanced view of the technology. And I'm not sure that's necessarily happening. And it may be in, in it, I'm sure that it's a mix here of, you know, certain regulators probably have a very nuanced view, a skeptical view of the technology, and maybe others don't. Um, so there's there's been legislation passed uh, in Arizona that I thought um, the the goal of the legislation wasn't anything earth-shattering, and I, I doubt it will have you know terrible consequences. Um, it was legislation essentially. Um, saying that blockchain records and signatures on blockchain, stuff like that, is um, appropriate or can be used for electronic signatures. It's an okay way to do electronic signatures. Smart contracts can be used in in commerce. I'm not sure that that legislation is actually necessary, um, but I think it's it's kind of a, a marketing thing that, state legislatures might want to be doing to show that they're savvy and hip with technology. But what's problematic that I see is that the definition that Arizona used and now Florida is using in at least the bill that's been proposed there um, is a really problematic definition of the technology. And it states both both of these um, both the Arizona statute and the proposed Florida legislation state that you know, the data in this record created by a blockchain is immutable and it reflects an uncensored truth. And that is some language that you would see on the most hardcore Bitcoin proponents, you know, Reddit site or Twitter site, and it's not something that shows that the legislators have delved deeply and understood it in a more objective way honest way. Wow. So while, while we digest the notion that legislators may not understand technology, uh, we're going <laughs> to gonna... <laughs> take a short break to get a word from our sponsors while we, we, we get our arms around that concept. Um, you're listening to the Cyber Law Business Report only on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix, 
So Social, the new and revolutionary way to easily manage and automate your Facebook contests and sweepstakes. Create a fun, easy-to-win contest by writing a simple Facebook post. Watch your post go more viral and generate loads of interaction. Track your traffic and generate email lists with ease. So Social is mobile-friendly and complies with Facebook terms of service. Let So Social give your Facebook page some flash today. Zoom over to zosocial.com. There are those who dedicate themselves to a sense of honor, to a life of courage, and a commitment to something greater than themselves. They have always defended this nation and each other. They still do. The few, the proud, the Marines. What is us? Us is a foundation. Us is the future. Us is a bond. But right now, that bond is fraying. And we need a place that could make it whole. From diabetes prevention to safety around water. The Y fills the gaps. And bridges our divide. But they can't do it without us. Donate today. Because where there's a Y, there's an us. Read by members of the Y. The Y for a better us. Don't get caught in a web of confusion. Learn the ropes on webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back. And um, before we go back to our program, just want to give a shout out to Webmaster Radio's own Brandy Shapiro Babin. Um, she is her birthday today, so happy birthday, Brandy! And thanks for all that you do. And um, little condolences to the families of Celtic great JoJo White and um, the amazing singer Dolores O'Riordan of the Cranberries. So. Uh, very sad to hear both of their passings. So we were uh, just talking about this amazing concept that legislators may not fully understand technology. And um, <laughs> what, what uh, to, I guess to paraphrase Tolstoy, what then must we do um, in Yeah, this case? what then must we do? How can we get legislators to think critically? How can we ensure that they are getting multiple perspectives. Uh, there's been a number of proposals, um, you know, over time, because this is certainly not a problem that is limited to the blockchain technology setting. It's a perennial problem, right? Um, really about, really about anything, right? People who um, can make money off a particular um, way of lawmakers understanding something have an incentive to get lawmakers to understand it their way. And some ideas that have been offered up by, by people are to, you know, have a designated kind of critic almost in, in the uh, regulatory or legislative setting um, whose, whose job is to look for the counter-arguments, essentially. Right. <clears throat> I think that's a great idea. Um, <clears throat> others, you know, other ideas are... Well, I've been standing on my head trying to, um, you know, point out to to regulators that they need to be more critical in their thinking. I'm not sure if I'm getting through or not. Um, it's it's really hard. I don't know. Um, I, in in Florida, I, I've um, I'm hoping to work maybe with the legislators there to to see if we can come up with a better definition of blockchain technology. So it may be academics and other critics becoming more active and actually reaching out to um, kind of counter the hype uh, because there are there are organizations um, to promote the use of blockchain technology as, as well as of cryptocurrencies, right? So there are think tanks. There's a, a prominent uh, think tank policy organization called Coin Center. Um, which has done some excellent academic work, um, and the people there are very sharp. However, they are coming from a particular perspective, and the, that perspective is to ensure that regulation on the technology is not too heavy. So that's fine. That's an important perspective to have, but there also needs to be a, a counterbalance to that so that you can find kind of the right middle ground. 
Now, one issue that I see coming up, and I think it was a colleague of yours who may have raised it in, in one of the journals that you were in, is that by having a, a permanent record, um, to borrow a phrase from my uh, grade school principal, the there's privacy implications of that, particularly in today's modern world where you have like, the European concept of the right to be forgotten. And so what, mm-hmm. there are some consequences to having this permanent record that maybe people don't fully realize. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I, this is That's not particularly my been my area of focus, but I am, people are looking at that very carefully. And that's been uh, one of the kind of, so there's the permanent record concept, right? The, the idea that this, uh, the, the record created through blockchain technology is supposed to exist forever. Um, and this, then this is what and makes it's it not immutable. supposed to be changeable. Yeah. This is the immutable point. Yeah. Yes. Which again is, it's not really true, and it becomes less true as you move through the different variations of, of blockchain technology, uh, particularly in the ones that are called permissioned, which are, are ones that um, all the computers in the network that does the verification, they're known to you. You decide who they are, and there's a contract that says how, um, what they have to do together to, to do this group record keeping. Okay, so the immutability claim is even, even weaker uh, for those. And I'm trying to remember where we were going with this. Uh, oh, just the, the, the privacy issue. <laughs> I think issue. I took it the a bit off on a tangent, issues, so yeah. let me... Oh, privacy the, issues, the, yes. Issues, people not being aware of the downsides, possibly. Yeah, so um, so if you have something there forever, that's that can be a problem. And um, there have been... So Accenture filed a, a patent last year that was very controversial in the cryptocurrency world essentially where they were they come up with a way to essentially make this technology mutable again right that you could make a change rid of something that was an error and i our existing record systems they do accommodate those things right because people do make mistakes things end up in records that are not supposed to be there maybe you put it in the raw maybe you put the a um, a grade in the wrong person's uh, permanent record, and you really do need to change it because um, they actually got a C in the course, right? Um, so making changes to things, I think, is part of the, the human condition. Um, there's, there's also, there's also a, a, a privacy issue in that the, one of the premises of blockchain technology, at least um, like in the cryptocurrency sense with Bitcoin, is that all data essentially appears, everything that's on the list appears on every computer in the network, okay? So it's like that the, the record is replicated everywhere, and that's part of, you know, this group record-keeping idea and part of what helps to give it its security. It's, it's everywhere. The record's everywhere. So um, the financial sector has had a, a big issue with that um, from a confidentiality perspective because gosh, if you're doing financial record keeping, you don't necessarily want everyone's details everywhere. You can't, you know, banks are concerned about confidentiality. They can't reveal things to everyone. So that has led to um, these consortiums who are building more private type ledgers, like um, the R3 consortium is an example of the the world's biggest banks essentially building um, a variation on blockchain technology. And, And that's one of the things that they they modified, right, that um, who can see each bit of data. Uh, It's not going to be everyone who's in the network. It's going to be only selected parties. So this is what I mean about the technology evolving, and there are many variations, and it's very important to understand that each of the variations has very different capabilities and characteristics. By lumping it all, all into one big bucket and saying it's all perfect, immutable, trustless, secure, we're uh, we're going bad places, I think. Right. So we only have um, two minutes left, and I want to give you a chance to you know plug you know how people can follow you and what what you're up to. So fire away. <laughs> oh sure. So um, I am pretty active on Twitter with research updates and kind of commentary of on breaking events. So my Twitter handle is at Angela 
underscore Walch, W-A-L-C-H. So I'd love to see you there. And I am also a contributor to Forbes.com, so you can find me there as well. Well, I want to thank you very much. It's been really in, in, enlightening, and you know, we, we probably could go for another half hour easily. But um, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And my microphone falls over. And, <laughs> but I want to thank you and, and definitely follow Angela. I've been seeing her on Twitter, and you know, she's definitely very insightful in this area. And it's a very, and this is clearly a very important area. It's going to be important for. Uh, our, our financial system and a lot of things going forward. So this has been a pleasure join, joining you and having you today and I hope you enjoyed listening to us. Um, check us out as, our, as usual as our show notes cyberlawradio.wordpress.com Follow us on Twitter at cyberlawradio and always follow the Internet Law Center at internetlawcenter.net This is Ben and Kelly. We'll be back next week. We'll be talking about FTC enforcement of influencers and go Patriots. We'll talk. See you next week. Goodbye. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.